Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is in full impact here, full speed ahead, uh, everything flying along here in mid-February. And we're delighted to have one of our top monthly guests back, Wayne Saden. Wayne has been a CIO, a CTO, and a CDO. He currently advises CEOs and boards of directors on how to weave bid digital strategy into everything they're doing across their business. Wayne, welcome back. It's always a pleasure to have you. Good morning, Bob, and it's always great to be here, especially today. Well, Wayne, that sounds that sounds propitious. Tell us about that. Why especially today? Well, I wanted to start by giving the theme for today's presentation. I have accumulated over the last couple of weeks more things that people tell me are the case that just aren't. So I decided to make the theme uh, Mark Twain quote, Sam Clemens quote, it's not what you don't know that gets you killed. It's what you know that just ain't so. <laughs> and I've seen that through my entire professional career and my personal life. And so I'm excited to be kind of debunking myths that I hear and, and talking on a personal note, the fact that I got my second vaccination this weekend. Fantastic. So Fantastic. 94.7% protected by Moderna, I will say. Um, I should also mention for the listeners, um, it was a pain in the neck getting scheduled for the second shot because it did take some computer skills and patience to get on with the call center people. But when I got it scheduled, for those that have worries, how do they deliver it and is it safe? We had a giant convention center with about 2% occupancy. So there was total free space, no air problems. I walked in, checked in, got barcoded. They took my temperature, had to go in and get the shot, 15 minutes to make sure nobody gets sick and out and go home. So the whole process took 20 minutes each time. And I carry, I'm a crazy person. I carry around a portable CO2 meter. Uh, which tells me what indoor air quality is. Um, I used to be an engineer and did HVAC, so I care about that. And my little um, carbon dioxide meter never went above 600, which is excellent. So terrific environment, excellent process of getting it. The only side effect on shot two was I slept more on Sunday than usual. That's not such a bad side effect. It was a, it was a great, and I woke up Monday feeling better than I felt in a long time, because now I know in about two weeks, I can go most anywhere. Uh -huh. And you know, you don't think about that. We've been locked up for about 11 months now. Yeah. And you don't think about the, the sense of relief that I can go out. Yeah. So anyway, personally, I'm quite happy. And all the things you know that aren't so about the vaccine, I'm here to say it was easy. It felt good um, and the process worked and I feel better than I felt in a long time. Wayne, that's wonderful, wonderful. Um, it looks like uh, you have some items behind your right shoulder there that maybe for a, a celebration at some point, but that's Wayne, that's terrific. Great to hear and I hope that we'll soon hear uh, tens of millions of people across the country having similar experiences to yours. Tens of millions we're already up to in, in Texas where I live, we're at somewhere around 10% have gotten the first dose. In the United States as a whole, we're up around 10 or 11%. Um, and I'm not political. I don't want to turn this into a political discussion. But right now, the vaccination rate is running at 1.5 million people a day. And that's, that's a seven-day average is around that. And instantaneous, if you look at a couple of the peak days, we've been almost 2 million. That's great. Now, Good that's to hear. shots in arms, not fully vaccinated. 
But again, we'll, we'll move into medical a little bit. Supposedly, the first shot protects you somewhere between 50 and 80% after three or four weeks. So even if you don't have the second shot right away, it's got to help. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I predicted uh, last time we talked that 2021 was going to be a year that went like this. I still believe that. There are people saying there's the South African and the Brazilian and the British and the blah, blah, blah. We are, in this country at least, and a lot of other countries, vaccinating people at an insane rate. And of course, this week, they've just put the vaccine out into CVS and Walgreens and Walmart. So making it a lot more accessible. And I think the pace is picking up. I think people are starting to feel it. People are starting to say, so when are we meeting for coffee? When are you going to come to this on? I've been invited to two on-site physical conferences. It just feels like a different world. And so again, like we talked about last time, CEOs, board members, CIOs, get ready. It's going to hit harder than you think. So there's my little soapbox about IT. No soapbox, Wayne. No, that that's perfect because, uh, right? You know, we humans are are creatures of habit, and uh, if anything, what the last year has taught us is, um, you know, in some way, some habits are good, some habits are are not so good. And this notion that, uh, well, I can wait, I can wait, things won't change, we're in lock, nothing's going to. It's it's crazy. It's sort of happened quite the other way, and it's paradoxical in some way that lockdown became the accelerator for you know these massive changes right but you know we we had to find new ways to do the things we used to do differently so uh wayne i'm really intrigued by the notion of uh and i want to read this again from what you had said it's not what you don't know that gets you killed it's what you know that just ain't so uh so you've got some great examples here so let me start with the first one i have a client that i work with quite a bit lately and it's a bunch of senior folks with a startup and they all happen to have Macs. Now, I'm a PC person. I've always been a, a Intel Windows person, but I've dabbled with Macs. So everybody has a Mac. Every time we talk about something, it's like, well, that doesn't look like that on my screen. So I said, you know what? Why don't I go buy a Mac? I like to learn new things. So over the weekend, after I got vaccinated, I stopped at Best Buy and picked up an $1,100 MacBook Pro uh, M1 chip, 13 inch screen. 1100 bucks out the door on sale at Best Buy. And so I took it and I brought it into my rig, the rig we're sitting at now with my camera and my lights and my mic and all the stuff connected. And I plugged in the little USB C port and pushed a button and everything woke up. And I'm using it right now. It's a tiny little lightweight machine with super good battery life. And the, my other machine is a $3,800 Lenovo and there's nothing I haven't done on the Mac that I could do on the Lenovo. And it's a third the price. And I got to get used to some things like the mouse works backwards. Yes. But it does support my two button mouse that I've used on the Windows. And so for my, my experience, it was an almost immediate transition. I either ported my old stuff apps that I use over Microsoft Office and Zoom and everything else. And so it's a terrific experience. And here's what happened when I told my friends. CEOs, board members, CIOs. Oh yeah, it's a nice little toy machine, but you know, in corporate world, it'll never work. <laughs> uh, they were telling me this. Okay, I've been a CIO for 30 something years and I was a little offended. It, it isn't a toy. So let me tell you a story. About 12 years ago, I was the CIO of an energy company. 
And I had a team that worked for me, my leadership team that were anti-Mac, the marketing department being marketing departments like Macs. And so we got into this war like IT often does with marketing. Oh, you gotta have a Windows machine. Windows does everything a Mac does. I was in that camp. I was talking to a gentleman on my help desk. He turned out to be a Mac hobbyist. So I had a person working for me that was a Mac expert. I said, you can support us? Oh yeah, no problem. So I decreed to my leadership team, you're all getting a Mac. I had them literally dropped off on their desk. I'm gonna say, you got 24 hours to get off your PC and you, can, you gotta have a Mac for the next year. Now I told them, I don't care if you put Windows on it and run it as a Windows machine, or you decide to go full Mac. Mm -hmm. I went full Mac. I said, how do I do everything in the Mac ecosystem? And the Visio didn't port over, so I had to get a different program and Microsoft Project. And other than those two products, everything else I wanted to do essentially had a version for the Mac. We plugged it into the corporate network and they worked and they were under control of all of our tools. And that was 12 years ago. So yeah. I've always thought the Mac problem was my MacBook Pro 16 inch was $6,000. If I bought the same thing as a Lenovo, it would have been 3000 or a Dell or an HP. So, wow, the cost. I just bought an $1,100 M1 MacBook Pro, $1,100. Now, if I was buying a, a Dell machine, maybe it'd be 800. But now the Delta is 300 bucks yeah. and the experience is so much easier. So I got to say, the first thing that everybody knows that isn't true is Macs are toys. Macs are overpriced. In my couple of days of experience, I'm going to say they're not. And if you're a CIO or a board executive or a, C, a, a CEO, and you've got to bring your own device culture, which we could have now, support Max. And otherwise, take a look at them. Don't be so close-minded as to say, oh, they're just good for the creative types. I'm running Teams and Zoom and everything else on them. So anyway, that's the first thing I learned was... When you buy a Mac and you're an IT executive, most people will laugh at you. They're wrong. Yeah, Wayne, I, I wouldn't add in any uh, in any way put myself in the fanboy category, but I, I have two, two Macs, an iPad and an iPhone, and it, it just sort of happened that way. And they've all worked great for me. Everything works easily. Uh, I, I don't think it's a cost issue at all. So I agree with you, but yeah, I, I do find a lot of people um, you would right away say like, oh, well, you must want that just for the music. Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay. So yeah, that's def definitely one that, that people don't know. Um, Wayne, let me uh, just take a second here for a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless. And when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. So Wayne, um, that is, I don't mean it's a trivial thing, but it's, it's uh, that is more an experience thing or one of people making decisions that just they're not the best, most efficient decisions they can make. The second topic you want to talk about here, though, this could be a killer. Yep. This and really could be one of those things that that uh, what you know that just ain't so will get you killed. And the reason I wanted to bring it up, the, comp the concept is technical debt. Those that have listened to our, our interviews know I talk about that a lot. It is one of my, 
I want to say favorite topics, but it's kind of like the one that pains me almost the yeah. most is the lack of understanding of what this means and the implications for strategic planners, investors, board members, and CEOs. So technical debt to me is the long-term systemic ignorance and underinvestment in your IT infrastructure and application stack. It means neglecting things over time. And, and Bob, you know, the example I've used before is I can go into a, if I went into the board and said, I want to build a billion dollar refinery. And they said, how much will it cost to maintain that refinery over its life? And I said, nothing, zero. They would laugh me out of the room or throw me out the door. But if I come in and propose an ERP system for half a billion dollars, and they say, what's it going to cost to maintain that ERP system? And I say, don't worry, I'll cover it out of my existing budget. They'll pat me on the back and buy me lunch. Why is there a double standard? Why do we assume, as one of my CEOs said to me, but my Windows XP computer boots up every morning, what's wrong with it? And, and of course, the story I told is we were at an airport and a P-51 Mustang landed on the airport as we were talking. And I said, see that World War II fighter plane? It still landed, it took off. Now put it against a Chinese or Russian MiG or flanker or whatever the, the current five, fifth generation fighter is, it's not going to win. So what's that people believe that's true but isn't true is I now hear every time I put a program in, in my DevOps or my Agile Sprint, and I don't fix something. Well, that's technical debt. And I hear this all the time. There are companies that are out there to manage your technical debt by producing a bug list. Now, I will point out, if you are in accounting and I'm reconciling the $100 million bank account and I find a 42 cent error and I can't find it, our policy may be it's okay to write off under a dollar. Mm -hmm. And we do now we've incurred debt. Oh my gosh, we've incurred financial debt, 42 cents. But at some point it's not worth pursuing. And so I'll claim that if you are a development manager, yeah, you should not create new technical debt, but I didn't do this in this sprint, I'm gonna do it in the next sprint to meet a deadline is not the same thing from running routers that can't be bought on eBay from running stuff that's out of spec with Microsoft or Cisco or whoever, that you can't get maintenance and repair on it anymore. The pernicious and systemic problem at the board level is we just stop paying attention. And that creates risk in our cybersecurity infrastructure. A patch that is well known and well understood and put on in 99% of the world, you don't put it on because it won't run on your old stuff. That's a significant exposure. More uh, pernicious is I have such an old back end that when I want to do something cool from the customer experience side, I can't. I worked with a client where we were doing a really cool front end e-commerce, delivered the products to customers online. And I said to the person I was working with, who only owned the front end, I'll bet your back end is an old ERP system. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. And I said, they're going to tell you it's two or three years before they can do this. And the person laughed at me and said, oh, come on, nah, it can't be that hard. Three years. The project is postponed three years while they fix the back end. So imagine being the front end person having to go to the board and tell them that, or having to have that fight about, I know the back end can't do it, but make it do it anyway. Look at the risk you've just swept under the rug. Yeah. And so there's an opportunity risk. I can't do what I want to do. And there's a day-to-day -day operational risk the stuff is gonna stop working.
you know, when a system fails and it's written in mainframe assembler and all your mainframe assembler programmers have retired and you haven't restarted that mainframe in four years, which isn't impossible, and it crashes, you may not know how to get it back. But my favorite stories are, you know, airline hit by lightning, power panel goes out, or hospital gets hit by lightning, power panel goes out, and they're down for three days. Now, I'm telling you, I've been in a lot of data centers, and I studied electrical engineering in school, and we know how to build redundant power panels. What happened is you tripped a breaker, something fell down, and then nobody knows how to get the complicated interplay of parts in IT running in the right order to start this complex piecemeal system. And so you create this day-to-day -day operational problem that you're brittle. I define it as a brittle system. It works fine, but if you tap it, yeah. it shatters. And so from a technical debt perspective, when the development manager comes and says, oh, it's all technical debt, stop paying attention and only focus on systemic, long-term institutional underinvestment. And if you're an investor or you're doing an M&A due diligence and you're not looking at the technical debt of your investor investment target or your M&A target, be careful. There are famous stories of companies that have acquired cybersecurity debt. Uh, Marriott acquired Starwood. Starwood had a problem and now it's Marriott's problem. You've got to be looking at your cybersecurity exposure, but you've got to be looking at, are you buying a company that values their IT assets at whatever but in fact, they're so old and broken that they're worth only a fraction of that mm -hmm. because you're going to have to invest a huge sum of money in the next year or two or three. So it's, it's a board level risk, but it isn't the same as all technical debt is the same. I'm sorry, it isn't that any amount is always bad. Yeah. The culture that allows it to create and roll up and not track it is bad. But let's be clear that the board can't just say, oh, yeah, I read an article about it. It's when a programmer doesn't do the program right. No. Well, Wayne, I loved your definition that you uh, offered up at the beginning, long-term systemic ignorance and underinvestment. So it's not ignorance as an insult. It's just you don't know. You don't understand it. You don't sort of really uh, get the big thing and thinking that, you know, developers skipping a few lines here is the same as, uh, you know, the issues that lead to the three-year delay because you're hooked up to an ERP system that, you know, as you said, brittle, you touch it and, you know, it quivers, the lights shake and everything. Wayne, I'm wondering, uh, <clears throat> I know you're staying very busy, uh, your advisory role with, with lots of things, but maybe down the road a little bit, uh, there'd be an opportunity if you put together an article, we'd love to publish it on Cloudwares, called something like technical debt, 10 things you need to know. Sounds terrific. I have at least 10 things. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that could, because it is something that uh, it's a subject you have talked about so eloquently and so effectively about things. It'd be good to maybe get some out there that, uh, you know, to extend this conversation. So, Wayne, the next topic I know you want to talk about, um, I just downloaded a new app on my phone. Is that digital transformation? Absolutely. <laughs> if you read the popular press, um, and, and, and as you know, and as your listeners know, I hate the notion that anything that's digital must be transformative. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I have a widget being produced by a person, and now I put a robot instead of that person, what have I transformed? Maybe I've transformed my cost structure. 
Maybe I have a robot that won't get coronavirus. Maybe I have one that'll work three shifts. Maybe I'll avoid repetitive strain injury on, my, on one of my workers. So there are two kinds of IT investments that one makes. One is digital optimization. And by that, I mean doing whatever you do already, but doing it better, doing it faster, doing it cheaper. If I have a call center where customers are calling me and I automate that so now they can email me, text chat me, talk to me on social media, I have not fundamentally changed the nature of that customer interaction. If I put it in IVR and get, let them check their bank balance or their shipping online, have I changed the nature of the interaction between me and the customer? No, I've made it a little more convenient. I've made it perhaps 24 by seven by 365. I've saved money for the company. I've saved hassle for the customer, all good things, but I'm still in the business I was in. And so we have to be careful to say that every investment doesn't become a transformative investment. They are good investments to make based on ROI, based on the soft and hard factors. Am I improving employee safety? Am I improving customer convenience? Not bad things to do. But when we talk about digital transformation, I have a very specific definition of that. It is a CEO and board-led rethinking of your corporate culture, of the products you create, of the markets you're in, of the customer experience, and of the employee experience. It is not doing what you do better, faster, cheaper. It's doing something different. And, and what I mean by that is you may decide I need to underinvest in one category of product and move that, so maybe sell a division and invest more in another category because I see it growing. It may be rethinking the product your customer uses. I'm working with a client and they sell widgets. They sell a device that collects data. They sell the thing, and then they let the customer collect the data. And the customer has great value from this data. It used to prove things to regulators and manage very expensive infrastructure. And I said to the company, you realize the better business to be in is the data business. Why don't you take all that data and create an industry-wide database and sell the fact to a client that you are better than your peers? in this geography or in this product line or in this particular process. And then they can say that when the inspectors come to call, well, inspector, I am in the top 4% of the entire Texas market for this. Maybe you don't need to spend as much time poking around. I can prove it. Companies that transition from selling a widget to selling data about the widget or data from the widget have a different cost structure. Now, one day, get out of the widget business have a business that just collects data from everybody else's widget and sell the industry database. Because there is no, to the best of my knowledge, industry database in their industry. I talked to the board about that. I talked to the C-suite about that. And I got a lot of blank stares, to be blunt. We are engineers. We build really good widgets. And we're going to build better ones. Help us build better widgets. Now, building better widgets is digital optimization. And by the way, we'll improve their cost structure improve their market position, lower the price of their product, all great things to fund a migration, perhaps, from being in the metal bending business to being in the data aggregation, data analytics business. So I worked for another company many years ago that made, they were, they were a, a, what do they call it, cash logistics. 
They pick up money, they deliver it, and they guard it with guns. And we created a product line that was a smart safe. Instead of picking it up, dropping it off, and guarding it with a gun, which is a low margin, absolutely low switching cost business, now you lease the safe from us. You dropped it in your quick serve restaurant or whatever, and we pulled the safe and figured out how much money was in that safe and then worked with your bank to give that money to you to write checks with. So before the cash ever left your store, you could write a check on it. Now that was kind of bank to an industrial company to a customer facing company that dealt with cash. A new product line, very different cost structure. And by the way, it was sticky as heck because you had to sign a three to five year lease for all these safes. How did we fund it? We funded it by automating the normal process of our package pickup. And they wrote a CIO magazine, wrote a cover story about the digital optimization, not the digital transformation, because nobody recognized it for what it was at the time. This was 15 years ago. But, but this is why they, they work together, but they're not the same thing. I was perfectly able to lead as the CIO to how do I automate picking up packages? I was not able to change the culture of the company. And now we're selling to bank executives. Now we're selling to CFOs. We're not selling to the ops person that dealt with getting the cash picked up, the coffee service, and the plants watered. Mm -hmm. We changed the engagement model of that part of the company. And so that's why it takes a board takes a CEO, takes a C-suite saying, we've never done this before, but I think it'll work. And so when you are having these discussions at the board level or at the C-suite level, you don't just point to the CIO and say, make us digitally transformed because that'll fail. I can't as the CIO push up on the rope, yeah. but we have to recognize that just because we computerized it, it doesn't mean it's transformative. And Wayne, have you found there are some cases where uh, a series or a handful of digital optimization products inspire then the move toward transformation? Oh, absolutely. I think it's not that the CIO should just be the order taker <laughs> and let the CEO and board go figure it out and then come tell him or her. We have to be actively engaged. So what happens to your point is IT will say, hey, let me show you a new capability. Maybe it's the augmented reality goggles, or maybe it's we can augment this product and make it a slightly better product by selling data about it. And by the way, there's a data business there somewhere, board or CMO or COO. And so they get ideas. And, and, but if an IT department cannot deliver, then a digital transformation is often stymied. So recognize boards and, and C-suites that if your CIO and their team is not up to it, cannot fix the back-end ERP so it ties to the front end, then either you got to dump the IT department, you got to outsource everything, neither of which I recommend, or you have to reskill, rebuild, replatform IT so that it can fire on all cylinders and be part of that journey into the future. So... Wayne, this is, a, you know, again, a very, very powerful thing, because I suspect there's probably a lot of companies that have gone down the digital optimization road, which, as you point out, that's a very good, solid, beneficial thing to do. But their expectation or their belief is now we're going to be we're future proofing ourselves a little bit, right? We are going to be at the forefront of new things that are happening. And because we're a very different company, but in fact, they're just a more efficient company or 
a slightly faster paced company. So you're proposing in some ways uh, that there be a, a truth teller somewhere in the organization who can help ensure that the board and the CEOs don't get sort of muddled up between what's optimization, what's the bigger play of transformation. Who could that, who could that person be who's willing to say not that you think that's the case, but it isn't? Well, the tone at the top is what matters, right? The board has to be there helping with strategy. The boards don't manage, they govern, they oversee. Let's be clear on that point. I'm a US guy. I know in Europe, it's different. We have management supervisory boards. A fiduciary board in the States is got uh, uh, charged with overseeing the interests of the owner, the shareholders. But they are very instrumental in strategy, in capital allocation in many companies, looking at how the company is using their money. And so if the board doesn't have a keen understanding and the ability to challenge management on whether they're doing an optimization or a transformation is not able to say to management, what is our technical debt position? What is the risk that you haven't told us about because you may not know about? To go back to my front end, back end example, that ERP system wasn't bad. It was put in 20 years ago to solve a particular problem. How do we manufacture in 25 countries the same way? It was a pinnacle of success for the project it was done for years ago. Now, it just turns out not to be the product they need 20 years later because they had a technical debt ignorance. They didn't keep enhancing it. The vendor of that product, I won't name names because it doesn't matter, their current version of their product is a very capable product for e-commerce. They weren't on the current version because they'd customized the heck out of it, which is another whole discussion. And they let it be an old languishing version. And so they couldn't, they, they had to do was do a major ERP upgrade, which to them would have been multi-year and five versions up and rewrite all the customizations. How does the board know when they're talking about business strategy that a perfectly good ERP that worked fine and everybody reported as a great success 10 years ago is actually a millstone hanging around their neck. So they've got to have somebody that can have that discussion. I refer to it as asking the right questions and understanding the answer. And the name of that role on a board is qualified technology expert. Another topic we've talked about. Yep. Uh, here's, the mis here's the misunderstanding. If you were the CFO of a company that made disk drives, you may be a terrific CFO. You may be a wonderful person with manufacturing costs. That does not make you a qualified technology expert. Mm -hmm. You have not been in the trenches of IT understanding a disaster plan, a technical debt, a failed ERP from a good ERP, hiring the right CIO. If you just have a smattering of experience in a vertical, in an industry, that does not make you a QTE. So we need to get people who can sit on boards as advisors or as fiduciary board members who have that experience and expertise in IT, but who don't think like product geeks, IT geeks. We don't want the VP of DP, which is what they used to call us many, many years ago. Yeah. They want somebody that can be a business executive and think about strategy and think about risk and think about opportunity. And I refer to it as a translator. They can translate geek to business and business to geek. Because face it, lots of people in IT, and by the way, lots of people in your R&D department and your product engineering department are geeks. They like making stuff. I grew up that way. I like making stuff with software. 
not everybody's going to be a Ray Rock person. Some of them are going to be a DevOps person. Mm-hmm. But somebody's got to have one foot in, you know, weighted capital, uh, uh, risk-adjusted return on capital, right? In the WAC and the Ray Rock, and another foot into what is DevSecOps and how do I make it work in this company? And so you need those folks who can bridge the gap. And whether you're at the board level and you're hiring a QTE or you're in the C-suite, CEOs, go get the right CIO. Get somebody who doesn't scare you because they're so geeky. Get somebody you can talk to your product people. Um, My way of thinking is that a CIO should be able to talk to an investor or to your banker or to your largest customer or to your trade association and give a coherent explanation of your strategy and where you are. They should understand the financials, not as well as the CFO, but well enough to serve as a surrogate for the CFO. They should be able to go out on a sales call and even close a deal. They should be in the call center listening to the customers or reading their emails that they send in and and being part of the solution to those problems. A CIO needs to be able to do all of those things. And then as their side job, keep all the tech plates spinning. Mm -hmm. So if you're a CEO, you got to get the right CIO to be your partner as a leader into the future and a spokesperson and a salesperson and a communicator. And if you're on the board, you need the same kind of skill, but taken up a notch. Somebody that can help with the risk and opportunity and translate between all of this stuff that our geeky friends talk about. And quite frankly, the equally geeky stuff that business people talk about. But the goal is to get IT to be a competitive weapon, to have IT be a tool for the future, And there's just, we got to get rid of these misunderstandings to wrap this up. The misunderstandings that people have that it's simple or that it's uh, technical debts, everything that is technical, that uh, digital transformation is everything with a computer in it, that, you know, computers matter, Mac versus IBM versus Chromebook. Um, There are all these things we have in our minds that are just wrong. And if we stop and take a minute and, and think about them, maybe we can get under that and try to find the common ground and move forward together. Well, Wayne, uh, you know, it, it's a great list. And I think one of the points that sort of comes through in a lot of this is all of those things you talked about were largely internally focused. And there are things, as you said, that we don't understand that cause us to maybe make either um, bad decisions or at least imperfect decisions all of which goes together to say we're not spending enough time thinking about the world out there and the customers to be delighted and dazzled and wooed and uh, brought together. So the the mindset of maybe the common thread through there is get these internal things right to help the companies devote more time, attention, effort, and passion to what's going on in the outside world and less so on these things inside, often confused or made more complex by the fact that... uh, (laughs) what you think is so ain't necessarily so. Indeed, we've got to focus on what makes us money. And and we can have another whole discussion, another whole interview on the question of how do you budget IT to focus them on the customer? How do you turn IT from looking inward, as you say, inward and turn them outward? We got to focus them out there. Um, and, And obviously we have a problem. There's a problem in IT because IT people as a whole tend to like to work with stuff. Uh, a lot of people go into IT because they want to make things. They, they're the engineering types. 
And, and so we've got to get them thinking and not about what cool thing we're building tomorrow, but about what that means for that business person, what that means for that end customer. I, I had a client, I told you, I think I told you this story once. I had a client tell me after I'd been there a couple of weeks, somebody came to me and said, you're not the person that I thought you'd be as the, the inter, I was the interim CIO. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, when you come talk to me, you don't want to talk about technology. You keep asking me what we do. <laughs> And I said, well, yeah, I'm what you need as a CIO. The person I'm replacing was the wrong person. And so get used to the fact that what we do in IT is irrelevant. What you do in the business is what matters. Yes. And Wayne, if I may, just one extension on that, it's the, and then to burn out that, um, that sense of separation there, that, that I, the, the CIO in IT is when they don't act like part of the business, then they don't deserve to be part of it. What you want to say is that we in the business are leveraging technology to do things we could never do before and delight customers and make more money. You're absolutely right. This us and them is a vestige of 25-year, 35-year-old thinking. One of the things I often do when I get a CIO role or an advisor to a CIO is I take that, now everybody works from home, so where they're located is a different problem. But everybody used to be crowded into the IT department, the IT building, the IT floor with the card key door. Well, we got to lock it up. I had one client that said to me, we're building a new space, new building, and we're putting IT in this corner or putting a card key door and a wall because this way people won't walk through the programming area and bother the programmers. And I said to the CEO of the company, first thing we're going to do is take that wall out. And number two, where's the coffee room? And he walked around, showed me. I said, can I put IT in front of the coffee room? so that everybody has to walk past IT to get a cup of coffee. And I swear this man looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> what I learned talking to my desk mates is this big. What I learned talking to the people who use my product is this big, which is why I would say that if you're a CIO and you can't close a sale for your company's product, not for IT, for the widget you sell, or you can't be part of that sales call. Maybe you're not the closer, but you're at least able to do it. You are not the right person and you're not focused on the right stuff. How many CIOs don't listen to their complaint desk or read the customer mail or whatever chat messages? Don't monitor social media. You gotta have your feelers out to what people are needing, what you're providing, what you're not providing. The, the tech, I hate to say it this way because it oversimplifies. The technology is easy today. Yeah. And we have people who work for us who can deal with that. The challenge is doing the right thing and doing it the right way. Uh, it, I always tell people, I would rather have a pound, an ounce of portfolio management, what I'm working on, versus a pound of project management, how I'm implementing. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm working beautifully on the wrong stuff, so what? <laughs> Which is part of the problem. Again, we've got lots of topics we could veer off onto. And I don't want to go too far from the, the point we're making, but there's lots of ways to run IT that may not be obvious because we've got to focus on stuff that people don't assume is the realm of IT, the customer experience, the employee experience, the, the strategic imperative, the looking around the next corner. Um, you know, I talk to clients, what, what is AR and 5G going to mean to the world of manufacturing or construction or field service? It is enormous because when I can put on a goggles 
and you see that uh, Samsung is producing and Apple is supposedly going to produce some really high-end ones next year, year after. I can put on my goggles and the 60-year-old, 30-year experienced technician can look through them with me, who's, by the way, sheltered at home because they're 60 years old and probably sedentary. And they can look over my shoulder and tell me how to do the machine repair or do the surgery. Let me think about that. Could I put on every ambulance a doctor through the goggles and then even with surgical robotics, give me the skill? Maybe teach, don't teach me to play the piano. Give me a robot glove I can use to play the piano. How does this matter in a company? What are they doing there? Because by the way, if you're not doing it, Tesla's doing it or Amazon's doing it. And so companies have to be aware that the IT department and the CIO is more than just the chief project manager and getting the digital transformation going. Well, anyway, you took me off on a topic that we could talk about extensively, and maybe we should, but it's the things we don't know that are gonna get us. It's that IT is not just the delivery mechanism. And so I tell CEOs all the time, I'll leave you with this. As a CEO, you get the CIO you settle for. Don't settle. Don't settle, and Wayne, you know, you're, uh... Your comments here today are, would be relevant at any point in time. I think they're particularly relevant and valuable now because in the past when IT played more a supporting function or a strategic function in certain areas, now IT is you know infused in every facet of the company end to end and is going to be absolutely indispensable to these digital optimizations and transformations. So, um, so often it's the first touch point through which customers engage with your business. So uh, it, it, it's absolutely, you know, fantastic advice, Wayne. So thanks again. It, it's always a treat to talk with you and really congratulations uh, on the, on the vaccination. That's wonderful. And I, I um, you're always aware of things like some of this data that's going on million and a half people a day, right. You know, to get to 330 million, that's not that many days if we can keep up that rate. So uh that's very good to hear. And I think it's under uh, undergirds your, your idea about this could be a pretty interesting year here in 2021. Oh, it's going to be a terrific year to be a CIO. It's going to be a crazy year to be a CEO, but it's going to be a fun year to be a CIO because whether it goes up or down or dips or bounces around, we get to have the fun. <laughs> Wayne, that's wonderful. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. And folks, to all of you for being with us, thanks for coming back to Cloud Wars Live. Wayne is going to be here every month with us. He's been here for more than two years now. And I don't want Wayne to hear this, but I'm going to see if we could get Wayne to be a monthly columnist and share some of these high-level ideas he's got. Thanks so much for being here, folks. We'll see you soon on Cloud Wars Live.